So it had been three long, hard months since God had freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Three months since they had left. They'd faced one potential disaster after another. It certainly hadn't been a smooth road. The Egyptians had almost ended their journey before it began, cornering them at the sea before God made a dry path for them to cross. They'd gone on into the desert with no food or water, but God had provided manna, quail, and water for them, despite the people's complaining. They'd faced extermination by Amalek, a king and a nation of raiders, but had managed to fend them off. And Moses himself had faced burnout until his father-in-law Jethro advised him to commission more leaders. Now they had arrived at Sinai the same mountain that Moses had encountered the burning bush some years earlier. Very same. And God tells them something that they may have had a hard time believing, considering the hardships they'd gone through. God tells fledgling Israel that God bore them on eagles' wings to himself, something they couldn't do on their own. They couldn't leave slavery on their own. They couldn't come to God on their own. God chose Israel out of all the nations of the earth to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God chose Israel to be God's special possession. It's quite a thing to be chosen. It's quite another thing to believe it. And it's another thing to have a proper perspective on one's chosenness and to live well. First off, it's amazing that Israel is chosen in the first place. Quick glance at the book of Genesis reveals that the patriarchs were no role models. Jacob, who received the name Israel, did quite a few sketchy things. The kids would say they were sus these days. He cheated his brother out of both his birthright and his blessing. He ran off with his uncle's flocks, though to be fair, his uncle was a bit of a con artist himself. And his family life was disastrous. He was a lousy husband and father, quite quite something to remember on Father's Day. He was a lousy husband and father, playing favorites among wives and children alike. So when Israel is chosen, it isn't because of their inherent goodness or worthiness. Israel is chosen because God wants to choose them. No other reason. The singular family filled with every human vice, will be the means by which God redeems the world. Second, believing in their chosenness must have been hard for the Israelites. Moses' first attempts to convince Pharaoh to free the people backfire when Pharaoh makes the Israelites' lives even more miserable. The people, of course, are upset, wishing that Moses had just left well enough alone. From time to time, A Back to Egypt committee would form because it's pretty uncomfortable out in the desert sometimes. They'd form a Back to Egypt committee, remembering how how wonderful things were back in Egypt. No, they weren't so wonderful. But sometimes the memory of what's gone before seems more comfortable than the current reality. Even though God rescues them from every hardship, They have difficulty trusting God. Sometimes it seems like life in slavery is preferable 
to a life lived in radical freedom. Third, when the Israelites do accept that they have been chosen by the time of the kings, they fall into the trap of the superiority complex of imperialism and dominance over other nations, tribes, and peoples. King Solomon's mistreatment of the northern tribes is testament to that. It led to the breakup of the kingdom. So what does any of this mean for the church? All of us here are Gentiles after all. What does Exodus 19 and 20 have to do with us Christians millennia later? Paul reminds the Gentile members of the Church of Rome that they had been grafted onto the tree of Israel through Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, God invited all peoples into a special covenant relationship. This doesn't supersede the first covenant. Israel is and will always be God's first love. But in Jesus Christ, Gentiles are also chosen. They're also numbered among God's holy people. This is why the Old Testament is still so important for us to for us today. There, especially in sections like this, in 19 and 20, we see how God chooses relationship with a people without their earning it, without their deserving it. God chooses people. God, first of all, is gracious. God identifies himself, first of all, as their God, their God, who brought them out of Egypt. Before God makes claims demanding the people's allegiance and obedience, God saves. God is merciful. That all comes first. Let's remember that as we go through the commandments over the next few weeks. Because if we're honest, we'll realize that we fall into the same traps that Israel fell into. We too fall into the same sins of unbelief and a superiority complex with devastating results. Today is Juneteenth, which commemorates the emancipation of African descent peoples from slavery in the United States. Today, we European descent American Christians might do well to take account of the ways our ancestors sought to justify their feelings of superiority, of their unbelief that others carried the image of God, which was worthy of dignity and respect, that people who didn't look like them were chosen just as much as they were chosen. Because we still struggle with these ancient sins. We still are susceptible to the lie that some people are better than others. The bottom line is this, chosenness doesn't mean superiority. It doesn't mean supremacy. And it certainly doesn't mean the freedom to treat one's neighbor however one wishes. As Caden said, that would lead to chaos. Chosenness in God for the Israelites and for us means responsibility. We've been bestowed with the greatest of gifts, love of God and Jesus Christ, the love that takes away our sins and restores right relationship with God and our neighbor. God makes it clear to the Israelites and to us that God is 100% responsible for that relationship in the first place. So now, we in the church have the responsibility and the joy of living differently. 
Instead of propping up old grievances, old ways of being, we can live more openly, trustfully, with love toward God and neighbor, a new reality. As we hear and study these commandments, we'll learn that these aren't arbitrary rules or ancient relics of a bygone era. They're fundamentals, the basics on which a free society is founded. How do we love God and love our neighbors, Jesus says. You can say, love God, love your neighbor, but what does that mean? What does that look like in practice? The Ten Commandments give us a way to begin to do that. As people chosen to be a blessing to others, let's open our hearts and our minds to hear God's voice to us today. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you brought Israel to yourself out of nothing but grace. You grafted us Gentiles onto the tree of Israel out of nothing but grace. And you gave these commandments to your people, showing them how a free people lives out of nothing but grace. Open our hearts and our minds over these next few weeks to hear what you ask of your people, how we are to love you and our neighbor, and to be the blessing you want us to be. Keep us from feelings of superiority, inferiority, or unbelief, trusting that you have chosen us and all peoples in Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.